You know, um, the ways of the world and the ways of Jesus are totally different, aren't they, in so many different ways. The, the, the way that Jesus thinks, the way that he acts, the, what he calls us to do are just so many different. One of my favorite stories is a, a story of a guy called Ted who bought a donkey from a farmer for 100 quid. And he bought this donkey, and the farmer said, I'll drop the donkey around the next day. And then the next day, the farmer comes around and says, I, I, I'm so sorry, the, the donkey died in the night. The donkey's died. And he's like, Ted's like, oh, don't worry, just give me my money back. He's like, oh, that's a slight problem. I've already spent the money. And so Ted says, well, just give me the dead donkey then. He said, well, what are you going to do with the dead donkey? He's like, oh, I'm going to raffle him off. He said, like, well, who's going to buy a ticket for a dead donkey? He's like, oh, don't worry, I just won't tell him he's dead. <laughs> and so he, he, a couple of days later, the farmer sees him again, and he says, uh, so, so what happened with the donkey? He said, oh, I made, I made a grand. He said, I had to make 1,000 quid. He said, well, 500 tickets, two pound a ticket. I made 1,000 quid. He's like, well, 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 didn't anyone complain? He's like, well, only the guy who won. <laughs> he said, well, what did you do? He said, well, I gave him his two quid back. <laughs> the ways of Jesus and the ways of the world <laughs> are totally different, aren't they? Totally different. And Jesus, when he came, he said, repent, for God's kingdom is at hand. It means change your thinking, change the direction that you're going. And in, in no greater area was it than the area of money. Repent, for God's kingdom is at hand. There is something different at hand. The Bible gives us 500 verses about prayer, nearly 500 verses about faith, but 2,000 verses about money and provision and finance. In fact, 15%, one in seven uh, sentences that Jesus uh, spoke was on the subject of money and, and finances. His teaching on f money was greater than his teaching on heaven and hell combined. This is a major, major theme that Jesus came to call us to repent, to think differently because God's kingdom is at hand. And, and he wasn't just talking to the Teds of the world who don't mind ripping people off over a dead donkey. He was talking to all of us. All of us need to repent, to think differently when it comes to money. When it comes to our finances, when it comes to provision, when it comes to generosity, repent, think differently. And so as I was just reflecting this week, I, th I, 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 I thought, how, have I, how has this teaching of Jesus changed me? What's it done in me over the, the years that I've been studying it and putting it into practice? What's Jesus' teaching done in me? How have I grown? How have I changed? How have I thought differently? So I want to just talk to you about four ways where I believe I've changed and grown through following the ways of Jesus when it comes to money and finance. And for some of you, it will be the first time you've ever heard, you've never even looked at this. You're a new believer or been perhaps coming along for a short time, you've never heard this. And so I want to give you kind of legs on, on what it means to follow Jesus in this area, what ways you could expect to change. For others of you, you've looked at this subject many, many times. You're already giving in many, many ways. And to be honest, you don't really want to hear another talk on it. But the reality is this. Sometimes we can just give or we can just follow things through that we know are right, but we just do them out of duty. Whereas actually, when it, when it comes to money, one of the key things is about faith. I want to remind you today why you do what you do. <laughs> why you do what you do and even why you've done it for a long time. Because when we get reminded, we get fresh faith again for what we do. We understand again why we do the things that we do. Four, four things. The first thing that I think has really happened in my life through following Jesus in this area is a growth in revelation. I've grown in revelation. Uh, uh, this uh, few September for us and October are birthday months. We have three of our five birthdays as a family this month. 
and uh, this year, uh, my son, my middle son, Caleb, wanted a, a bike for his birthday. And so I hunted high and low. We had a set budget for this bike. I hunted high and low online and on eBay. There are other auction sites, but uh, on eBay. And I just, I just could not find the right bike. And the birthday was getting closer and closer and closer. I just couldn't find the bike that he wanted for the money that we had to put into it. And so on, the, on a couple of days before, I was saying, Bud, would, you know, it's getting a bit close and I'm not sure. Maybe we'll just give you cash for your birthday and then you, we can keep looking and find the right bike la- later on. He's like, oh, okay, Dad, I really wanted a bike, but that's fine. Totally understand. No problem. On the day before his birthday, he prays in the morning. We pray together as a family over breakfast just for 10 minutes or so. And he prays and he, and he says, God, please help us to find the right bike for my birthday. And that was it. And then I went off to school. And that, uh, I, just before I started work, I thought, I'll just go back on eBay very quickly. I went on eBay, and there was no, no bike. Nothing new had come on. But then I thought, well, what about his bike is in a certain range of bikes? I wonder if there's any other bikes in the same range. So I, I kind of expanded the search, and I found a bike that was, four, this is a great advert for eBay, by the way. I found a bike that was four bikes better than the one he wanted for less money than we had in our budget. It was cheaper than we were expecting to pay. It had 15 minutes to go, and no one was bidding on it. At 8.30 in the morning, I thought, that is my bike. <laughs> Ten seconds ago, I bid on it. I won that bike. Won the bike. That night, it was about an hour and a half away. I thought, I'm going to go and get that bike tonight. So I went with a friend, and we picked up that bike. I tell you, this bike looks like it's never been ridden before. It's like a brand new bike. The guy's like, I, I said, why are you selling it? He's like, I'm moving to Barbados. So I had to get rid of everything. He's like, great. <laughs> He's like, you got a real deal there. I was like, I know. <laughs> so I took the bike back home. On, we put it on the breakfast table. So it's sitting on the dining room table. He walks in to his, the table set up for breakfast. We kind of do a special birthday breakfast. He walks in expecting to see an envelope with cash. He sees his bike sitting on the table. Matthew 7. Which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven Give good things to those who ask him. (laughs) If we delight to give, if we can, I'll never forget the look on his face. If we delight to give and we delight to pour out good gifts on those that we love, Jesus said it is a poor reflection on what's coming from heaven to you. (laughs) Your heavenly father loves to give. He delights to give. He is overjoyed to give. I tell you, when I've looked at the whole subject of money and finance and giving, it's given me a revelation. I've grown in revelation because I've seen even through my paltry, imperfect giving, it's a reflection of God himself. All generosity, all finance comes from him. His his heart, his spirit in us. And, And where we give, we just reflect him. He loves to give. It's given me a revelation of who God is. He delights to give. And that's why I don't beg. You ever find yourself praying for things and begging? You ever find yourself praying and begging God to do something? I've got a friend who's got a dog. And it's, I mean, it's just, it's just the poorest, sorriest victim spirit you've ever seen. I mean, this dog's just, I mean, it's just, you feel... <laughs> If this isn't the doll, but this is what it looks like all the time. Even after it's been fed, it just begs. Every time it looks at it, it's got that look in its eyes. It just begs. Don't beg. Because children who know their father don't beg. 
Dogs beg. Dogs beg. They've got that look on. But when you find yourself praying, when I find myself praying and I look like that, I realize something's gone wrong. I realize it's my orphan spirit rising up within me rather than the spirit of sonship that's upon me. The spirit that says he is a good father who loves to give. Children who trust their father don't beg. They come to their father and say, Dad, this is what I need. And they trust him for the results. When I've looked at this whole subject of finance and giving, I've realized it's critical that we come to a God. And this is what the Bible says. Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. He rewards those who seek him. And so when I come to God, I don't beg. I try not to beg. And if I catch myself begging, I immediately retract and say, God, I don't want to pray like that. I don't want to beg. I want to come to my Father knowing that he rewards those who seek him. He loves to give good gifts. That's the first thing I've learned as I've looked at this whole subject and followed Jesus in this whole area of money. The second is I've grown in freedom. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says this, I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they're very poor, but they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, and they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers who are in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was under a, a massive uh, famine affecting the whole area, and uh, these believers who were poor themselves were giving to help the saints, the believers who were there. We've urged Titus, who was one of Paul's companions who's writing this, who encouraged your giving in the first place to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. This little passage is so deep. It's so deep. If you study it, you'll understand that Paul's pointing out and helping the churches that he works with uh, discover and get free from lots of different errors when it comes to this issue of giving. Uh, on the one hand, you've got those who come under the law. Those who come under the law give because they feel like they ought to give. They give because they feel like if they do, they'll earn God's favor in some way. That If they give something to God, he'll give something back to them. They give because they have to. They, they give because they, they feel kind of compelled to give. And, and you know when you're giving like this because you feel grumpy about it. Anyone give them feeling grumpy? Anything to anyone? No, just me. Okay. You, you, you give in this way. When you're under the law, you give and you feel grumpy. You feel uptight about it. Even hearing Carly's story, you were thinking, oh, they're just trying to manipulate us to give by telling us good stories. If you thought that, you were under the law. Honestly, you are under the law. You need to come into a revelation of freedom because that's what Paul's trying to point out here. And he gives an example of the church in Macedonia. He says they have understood grace. Grace is the antidote to the law. They didn't give reluctantly. They gave joyfully. Even when they needed stuff, they gave themselves because they'd understood grace. When you understand grace, when you understand God's favor for you, you realize nothing I can do, including giving, can add to the favor that I already have on my life. Can I have a hallelujah or something? <laughs> Nothing I can do can add to his favor that's on my life. So giving or prayer or reading the Bible or anything or even coming to church, oh my gosh, nothing can add to it. You cannot have any more favor on your life than you have already in Christ. That's grace. And it's the antidote to the law. Wow. 
Ephesians 2, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And it's not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Your salvation and everything else that you have in God comes by grace. It's a free gift. No one's going to say at the end of the day, God, I got all this stuff from you because I earned it. Because I deserved it. Because I was a good Christian. And I did this and I read my Bible and I went and I gave and the gift and I gave more than I should. No one's going to say that. And if you are thinking you're going to say that, you are under the law. You're under bondage and there is freedom for you. I know for me, that whole area of fasting was one of these big issues. I was completely under the law. And I, and I read the Bible about fasting. I thought, oh, that sounds like a terrible idea. But it does talk about it a lot. I suppose I ought to. And so I started fasting. And man, it made me grumpy. Anyone being more grumpy when you're fasting or feel less spiritual when you're fasting at any other time of your life? Yes, that was me. So grumpy about it. And there was a guy who was helping me. And I was fasting regularly and miserable as sin. And he was, <laughs> he was helping me. He was saying, what's wrong with you, Simon? He said, oh, I'm just a bit grumpy today. Why are you so grumpy? Well, I guess it's because I'm starving and I'm fasting. He said, well, why are you fasting? Well, it just says in the Bible it's a good thing to do, so I thought I should do it. He said, I'll tell you what, here's your homework. Don't fast until you can't stand not fasting. Don't stand. I, was, I thought about it. But don't fast until you can't stand not fasting. Well, that's never going to happen. <laughs> I'm never going to be able to stand not fasting. That will never happen. That's amazing. You mean I don't ever have to fast again? He's like, if you, if you like. I was like, that is awesome. That was amazing. So for six months, I ate liberally. <laughs> I did not fast at all. Not, I didn't even feel guilty about it. I was so free from the guilt of not fasting. Other people would say, I'm fasting. I was like, I couldn't care less. Good for you. <laughs> I'm free from this. And then about six months later, someone asked me to pray for them, and they really needed a breakthrough. And I prayed for them, and do you know what? It was like putting your foot on the accelerator. There was no power. There was no power. There was nothing there. And I knew there was nothing there. Nothing was shifting. Nothing was breaking through. And I went away thinking, what's going on there? And then I read again Jesus' encouragement to his disciples when they were in the situation. And they're in this situation where a boy needed freedom and they couldn't set him free. And then Jesus sets him free and they ask him why. And he says, this kind only gets dealt with by prayer and fasting. And I suddenly thought, I want to fast. <laughs> I want to fast because I want power. And Jesus said, if I fast, something will happen spiritually. I'm not earning God's favor, but something, this is not for him, this is for me. This is for me. Something happens in me when I fast, when I seek God, when I set myself to him. It somehow puts some, I don't even know how it works, but Jesus says it works, so I want to fast. And suddenly I started fasting again, and suddenly the power came. Do you understand what I'm saying? Some of you here need to understand today. Don't give until you can't stand not giving. You think, gosh, that's a bit radical. But it's true, because you cannot truly give from the heart, joyfully and gladly, while you're under the law. If you're under the law, I'd rather you did not give a penny today, or at any other point, until you can't stand not giving. And when you can't stand, and you're thinking, I'll never be in that place, brilliant. If you honestly think that, then brilliant. You need to go to that place till you can really understand grace. Because when you get to that place where you can't stand not giving, and I tell you, if you're following Jesus, you will get there. At that point, you'll be able to give freely. Freedom from the law is so critical for us. It comes in this place. But there's a second error. There's an equal and opposite error, and it's this. It's license. And that's what Paul was writing to, to the Corinthians. They'd promised to give. They were kind of all excited. There was a little kind of pledge day, and they'd pledged to give some money. But then they hadn't followed through. 
Because as you read the rest of the letters to the Corinthians, you realize the Corinthians thought, well, do you know what? We've understood grace. We don't have to give. So why should we? We're not going to give. I know we said we would, but let's not bother because we're, we're under grace now. We're free from all this kind of giving stuff, that legalistic stuff. Why do we give? Why should we give? And so they didn't. The law says I have to give to earn God's favor. License says I don't need to give because I have God's favor. But Paul holds up to them this example of Jesus, and he holds up to them the example of the Macedonian church, and he says, sure, you don't need to give, but look at Jesus, the one you say you're following. He gave it all for you. He gave it all. The law says I don't have to, uh, the law says I have to give. License says I don't have to give. Grace says I want to give. <laughs> I want to give. Why? Because a res- response to what Christ has done for me. Listen to this from the Macedonians. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. Remember I said don't beg? Here's the reason when you can beg. They begged us for the privilege of giving. Why did they have to beg? Because they were so poor. And Paul said to them, listen, guys, leave this to others. You really need it for yourself. Do not deny us the privilege of giving, Paul. We are giving right now. We We don't know how much they give. And to be honest, it didn't really matter. What mattered was the heart. They begged for the privilege of giving. because they Why? Because they'd understood grace. They saw giving as a privilege, as a response to the amazing outpouring of grace that God had put on their lives. I've sat in some of the poorest of homes, some of the the most difficult situations, sitting in the homes of refugees who've literally got nothing, a borrowed accommodation, and yet they bring out the best food. And you just know, don't deny them right now. Don't deny them right now. Even though they're stretching themselves to give to you, don't deny them. Because it's, you, we've spent the week praying for them, ministering to them, coming to see them, caring for them. They, want, they need to give. They need to give. Even if it's only a little, they need to give. They, they need to give for their own sense of understanding and response to grace. Giving for the Christian is not a matter of law or license. It's a matter of grace. And if you're not a Christian here today, I hope you can understand what I'm saying. That if you understand the grace of God for you, that Christ died for you freely. You don't have to earn his favor. You can't earn his favor. He died for you that you might have life. Then when you understand that, forget the issue of giving for a moment. You need to encounter the grace of Jesus today. That he died for your sins freely so that you can know his love and acceptance and forgiveness. And and for you, the message today is not going to be about giving. It's going to be about understanding that grace for the first time. Come and give your life to him as a response. As we grow in freedom, as we give, I've seen so much freedom come into my life in this area of giving. Freedom from legalism, freedom from license. Whatever your family background, whether it was a background that squandered money or that was overtight with money, whatever your background, whether you're facing debt or facing an inheritance that you don't know what to do with, there is freedom in Christ for you today as you look at this whole area of money. Giving helps us grow in revelation. It helps us grow in freedom. For me, it's helped me grow in maturity. You know, when I first joined a church, I didn't give anything. You know, I sat on a chair that someone else had paid for, in a, re- in a hall that someone else had paid for, drinking coffee that someone else had bought and served. I didn't feel bad about it at all. You know, the, the, the electricity was paid for by someone else. The instruments were bought by someone else. The giving and the serving were done by someone else. I just came. 
and I enjoyed it. Why not? I went to people's small groups and ate cake that they'd paid for. I didn't feel bad. They'd given it to me. Why should I? I felt great. It was free. Slowly over time, that changed. (laughs) Slowly over time, that changed. Why? Because I realized church is not an organization. It's a family. Money reveals whether you joined an organization or a family. This is what Jesus said. Your father knows what you need. Why does he use the word father there? Because he's calling us to join not an organization, but a family. Families serve one another. Organizations give a service, families serve. They serve one another. If you want to belong to a family, if you want to feel part of a family, families serve one another. Uh, you know, Caroline's parents, are, my wife's parents, are so generous. And her dad particularly, whenever we go out to a meal in a restaurant, he just loves to pay. And, and when we first got married, it was brilliant. Free food. <laughs> it was awesome. And I just let him pay very happily. But you know, as time went on, it began to feel a little bit uncomfortable. And now we have a wrestle over the bill. And sometimes, and normally he pays, but sometimes I get in there, I sneak in there first. I get in there first. I pay. Why? Because of maturity. The son who never, ever wants to pay, something's wrong, isn't it? The son who never wants to contribute, the daughter who never feels like they, they don't actually really understand family. It's when we understand family that, yeah, we still might receive things freely, but in one sense, we want to contribute because we're part of something bigger than ourselves. Families serve one another. And, you know, as we grow in maturity, we can't help but look at this question of tithing. You know, if you want to ruin a Christian party, just, just don't say anything and then just say tithing. <laughs> and just see what happens. You know, you're at a dinner party, everyone's enjoying themselves, having a bit of a laugh. Just say tithing and just kind of ruin the atmosphere right there. Just like crash the party and you can go home early, which is what you want anyway. As we grow in maturity, we can't help but look at this thing called tithing. And some of you think, what do you think about it? Well, some people are saying, if I knew what it was, I'd know. But what is it? Well, Numbers uh, chapter 18 says this. To the Levites, I've given every tithe in Israel for an inheritance in return for their service that they do. Their service in the tent of meeting. Tithing was introduced in the Old Testament. The Levites were the priests, the people who were responsible for the kind of religious care of the community. And they couldn't work because it was a full-time role doing that. And so God says, give a tenth of your income so that those people can be released to do what I've called them to do. And that's where it began. And so many Christians argue, well, tithing's no longer applicable to us then. Because A, we're not Jews. And B, there's no temple to look after. And C, it's an Old Testament thing. We're not under the law anymore. Why do I, why do Caroline and I still give a tenth? Why do we still tithe? In fact, we give more than that, but why, why, do, we, why do we do it? Uh, there's a few reasons. Firstly, to me, uh, Carly actually mentioned it, the theme of the first portion of our income belonging to God goes m- much further back and much deeper than this whole issue of tithing. The, the first portion, r- right into Cain and Abel. You remember Cain and Abel, the sons of Adam? Abel gave a first portion to God. It was a response Uh, to what God had given him uh, in producing his uh, flocks. Abel gave the first portion to God. Abraham, one of the founders of our faith, held up again and again as an example of faith, gave a tenth to a man called Melchizedek. That's where you first understand this first portion principle. So for me, this principle of a tenth is outside of tithing. It's just part of who we are as humanity, that 
we give to God as a response of gratitude for the fact that he is the one who provides for all of our needs. Our income, yes, may come from your PAYE paycheck, but actually it really comes from God. And we give a response to him of that. And I believe in the principle of the tent. The second thing is in this. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. This is what it says in Matthew 5. Don't think I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Under, under grace, we're not meant to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. And the, the New Testament principle of extravagant, generous giving fulfills the Old Testament principle of a tenth. Think about it. If the, Under the Old Testament, they gave a tenth of their income. In fact, they actually gave much more than that, but let's call it a tenth. If they gave a tenth, knowing what they knew, which was so much smaller than, than us, knowing, understanding the grace that they knew, which was far less than we understand, if they gave a tenth under that, how much more should we go beyond that, not, not just do that? Does that make sense? And of course, we don't have to. There's no obligation. We're free to give or not give as we want to, but I believe there's a principle there for us. And lastly, I'm responding to what Christ has done for me. The generousness of Jesus means that I love to respond to him. We love to respond to him because it puts us in a place of faith. Living on 90% of your income puts you in a place of faith like nothing else. And it's amazing, as Carly said, what response you get in God as you do it. Why tithe? Because it's the law? No, because we go beyond the law, because we fulfill the law and we understand God's radical promises to those who honor him. How about you? What do you think? Why don't you talk about it at your next dinner party? I think we need to break up the fear of talking about this whole subject of money. There is a, a pathological fear in our society about talking about money. I think we need to break that fear. I think we should talk about it. I think you should ask people, do you tithe? And if not, why not? And if you do, why do you? And look for the blank stares when they look at you. And don't be afraid and don't, don't be fearful of expecting them to ask you the same question in return. Let's talk about it. Let's not, if we, don't, if we don't give a tenth, let's not be ashamed. Let's understand why we don't and why we feel like we shouldn't. Let's open up the conversation of money because there are so many people in so many different situations locked up in shame and fear because no one ever talks about money. Let's talk about it. Let's have an open, honest discussion. There's no law. There's no judgment. We freely give. No one has to give anything. So if you do give, there should be a reason for why you give, and you should understand those reasons. Giving helps us grow in revelation. It helps us grow in freedom. It helps us grow in maturity. And then lastly, it helps us grow in expectation. This is what Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 9. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it's written, he distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed for the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. Some of you have sat under teaching or heard teaching that promises that when you give, you'll get something in return. Or even give to this ministry and God will bless you. You've seen the TV evangelist that promises a healing or a miracle if you'll sow in a seed. And they quote Bible verses and talk about sowing a seed into the ministry or God loves a cheerful giver or if you give, you'll get a hundredfold return and on and on. And there's so much out there about this, it can get really, really confusing. But let me just boil it down to you. Listen, what Paul's saying here is a seed 
can be sown or it can be eaten. <laughs> Seed can be sown in the ground and it produces a harvest or it can be eaten, it can be consumed. Money is like that. It's like a seed. You might not have ever thought it like that. You might just thought, well, money is to be consumed. No, no, no. Money is a spiritual thing. And it can be eaten, it can be consumed, bread for the eater, or it can be sown, seed for the sower. It's the same thing. But instead of working physically, just physically, it also works spiritually. And so you have a choice with every pound you get. What are you going to do with it? Are you going to consume it? Or are you going to sow it? Each one of us get that that choice. And we also know that God is the one who provides the seed. And he provides the the ability for bread to eat or seed to sow. God is the one who gives us that seed. He who supplies seed to the sower, it says, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed. So when we follow God's principles that we consume some and we give some away, then God keeps on promising to give to us. There's this kind of... Thinking, when we give, God keeps giving back to us. But here's, here's the twisted bit. If we start giving so that God gives back to us, it all gets a bit messy. Anyone understood that? If you give just to get, well, this week I had a birthday and my kids bought me a present. And so I opened the present at breakfast, very nice, enjoyed my present. Imagine if after I'd opened the present, it was all a bit silent. And I was like, uh, okay, what's going on? And they, they, they said, well... You know, we've given you a gift. Yeah, I'm so grateful for the gift. Are you going to give anything back to us? What do you mean? Well, you know, we gave you something, so we're thinking kind of hopeful that you'd give something back to us because that's kind of, that's what we'd like. Can you, can you, that would be an awkward breakfast right there, wouldn't it? That would ruin breakfast right there. It ruins the gift and the giver. When we give to get, it all becomes a bit toxic. We don't give to get, but the principle is when we give, we get. Does anyone make sense of that? (laughs) We don't give to get, but when we give, we do get. He provides the seed for the sower and the bread for the eater, but we don't want to get into some twisted, toxic mess that just says, God, I'll put my penny in the slot machine and you give out the reward. No, that's all gone horribly wrong. That's not family. That's not relationship. We don't give to to get, but when we give, we get. I can't make it any more simple than that. (laughs) Think about it. Let me finish with a story that just illustrates so brilliantly some of these principles. On the back of Phil's amazing preach yesterday, this was last week, I thought the team would like to hear about my wife and I, Jade's giving testimony over the past year, as it may be something you may want to use to help inspire others to give. Back at the beginning of this March this year, I was was in £14,000 worth of debt and had half of our wedding to pay for. On a Sunday evening at the beginning of the month, Carol preached on making a habit of continuing to thank God through trials. Her preach motivated me to do just that, to the extent that we took a step of faith four days later and raised our giving to a full 10% of our earnings as a way of thanking God despite the financial trial we were in. That evening, I got a sudden wave of anxiety that the treatment room that we were renting to practice from at the time was way too much. I'm an osteopath and my wife, my uh, fiancé was a nutritionist. So that prompted me to start searching for a cheaper room. Within 24 hours of searching, we'd been offered something for half the price, saving a whopping £9,000 a year. Even better, it had two rooms rather than one so that we uh, could work, both work at the same time. God continued to provide over the months after that and leading up to our wedding uh, day two weeks later, Through him boosting patient numbers at our clinic, we were able to pay off all of our debt, pay the rest of our wedding bills. He provided us with a deposit for a new house located five minute walks away from our clinic and provided enough money for a honeymoon to Mauritius that we recently came back from four days ago. (laughs) 
For our wedding, we decided to ask people to donate to the King's Arms project instead of giving us money and presents, even though we could have done with the money and presents to pay for a lot of basic things. We still need to buy for our new house and also contribute to a large tax bill we've got coming in January. Five days after our wedding, whilst we were still on honeymoon, I was informed about an article that a journalist had featured about me in a global health magazine. As a result of the article, the phones wouldn't stop ringing. Our receptionist emailed me while we were away to inform me of a sudden increase in people booking in for treatment, which has meant that the next four weeks will be the highest earning four weeks we've ever had at the clinic, providing us with an additional amount of money that will be about four times the amount that we would have expected to receive from wedding gifts. Praise God. Giving helps us grow in revelation. He's a good father who delights to give. Giving helps us grow in freedom. Law and license get pushed out when we understand grace. Giving helps us grow in maturity. It's helped me. We move from organization to family. Giving helps us certainly help me grow in expectation. We don't give to get, but when we give, we get. (laughs) Giving changes us. When we follow Jesus and follow his words on this whole subject of money, which he talked about again and again and again, there is freedom, there is life, there is expectation. We join in with a whole family of God's people who are creating a new type of kingdom. The kingdom of God is here, said Jesus. Think differently. (laughs) Are we going to be like Ted, who ripped people off with a dead donkey? the world's way of dealing with finance? Or are we going to be like Jesus and say, Jesus, come help us. Come work with us. We're working with you to build a whole new kingdom that looks differently, that acts differently. And that's changed in this whole area of money.